This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This week, we're going to do a follow-up to our previous episode. Last time, we did Joel Cohen's Macbeth. This week, we're going to do Akira Kurosawa's 1957 film, Throne of Blood. Mike, you spontaneously said during our recording of the Macbeth episode, we should do Throne of Blood. Again, movie we've seen a bunch of times, movie we both love, a movie we've never discussed. That's the premise of the show. Mike and I have watched Throne of Blood again to get ready for this episode. And in our first episode, our first segment, we always talk about our opening thoughts about the film or our overall experience with it. So Mike, you can go first. This movie makes me feel very claustrophobic. And I remembered it previously as, as having some wide open shots. Like this movie, there's something much more Scottish about Japan in this adaptation than there is about the Coen brothers, you know, since we're kind of comparing yeah. and contrasting. Um, but there's much more blasted heath in this movie, but you don't actually see a lot of it for, I, it was kind of sticking in my mind. Um, but there's a lot of really weird tight spaces, tight corners. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about the last scene of course, sure. but the last scene is literally the tightest corner in the movie, but it's, it's a lot of weird kind of fireplace shots of, of hallways when Washizu is talking to his wife about killing their their lord in Spiderweb Castle, they're just walking. Or he's not even looking at her. He paces around the room while she sits in one fixed point, and the whole room's got to be maybe eight feet. Like, I don't I don't know if it creates the same imp- impression of space on you, but it's it's movement and confinement. Yes, uh, and it makes me so physically uncomfortable. Yes, because they never make eye contact. So even in general conversation, when you're making small talk with people, if someone doesn't make eye contact with you, you think that I do something wrong. Is it, is it my sending out a bad social cue? And, and those whole conversations, they never look at each other. He wants to look at her. He paces around her. He's sending off all this nervous energy like a caged panther or something, but she is rock still. That's the contrast that I get whenever he moves through space. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what prompted watching this movie again for me was the contrast between the two witch scenes because I was impressed by uh, the Cohen uh, adaptation yeah. of Macbeth and the, and the witch scene. Um, but I'll get to that because that's actually my moment. Well, let's talk about Macbeth for a moment because, you know, what I love about this film, there's so much to love about it. You know, we don't always read Shakespeare for the, for the plots. We read it for the, obviously for the language, right? But Macbeth has a kind of a plot that is so, it's like the seven, it's like seven samurai, right? It's so linear. It goes ahead like a bullet and it transcends place it transcends time it transcends nations it transcends culture and it's it's really cool when you watch this to think about what it got right from Macbeth right and I love the fact that there's no at least as far as I can tell I can't speak Japanese but there's no Japanese translation of 
she should have died hereafter. There would have been time for such a word. Like there's none of that in there, but like, think about what it gets right. Like, first of all, like the symbolism, Macbeth is a very, is a play, you know, steeped in symbolism. So we don't get the dagger scene, but we get that new symbol of the blood on the wall. How great was that with the traitor's blood on the wall? And they're trying to scrub it off where he's, where he's trying to sleep. Um, I love the supernatural soliciting. Like you said, the, the uh, witch that, you know, bites him right away. I love the struggle of the hero against his own self. So that whole part where, um, after the Prince of Cumberland scene, when he walks out and says, you know, stars, hide your fires, let not light see my black and deep desires. Like that part's great. And you said open spaces, that whole part where they're lost in the forest and they keep going back to the same spots. Like, you know, that's a great way to show that Macbeth, the person is morally lost. And that's a big, big thing in Shakespeare. You know, his um his paranoia as the, as the film goes on is like, that's dead on from Shakespeare. And like, it's got all the big scenes. Like you said, the witches, but it's got the banquet. It's got the hand-washing. It's got the forest moving. So it's, it's amazing how compact it is. I mean, the movie's maybe an hour, 45 minutes, but it gets so much right about Macbeth more than some other adaptations of Macbeth I've seen. Yeah, I think the the number one thing, obviously, that's not in this adaptation is there's no Macduff. Right. There's no foil, right? You would expect a big sword fight at the end of this samurai movie. Of course, anticlimactically, there is none. He's murdered by committee, which is a wonderful way for this to end. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that more yeah. at, at the ending, but it, there's there's very much less a personal vengeance as a a universal vengeance, a mob vengeance, which I think is extremely interesting. And, and it takes away some of the tension in the movie. Like one of the things that persists through this adaptation is you have to have all the same people for the Macbeth, the Macbeth character to kill. Right. And the only thing that's changed is to concentrate some of his angst and anxiety about everybody out to get him onto a single person, because in this adaptation, everybody is out to get him. Yeah. In the original, you know, there's a line in the end, I think it's in act four, act five. Somebody says those he commands move only in command, nothing in love. So we get the sense that, you know, Macbeth's soldiers don't, don't, they only, they only move in command, not in love. So there's that sense there in Shakespeare, but here it's built on, it's, it's full force. That's why I love you said he's murdered by committee. And I love to share Mufuni's face. A lot of what doesn't translate necessarily from language is done through a silent performance. I, I, I've i never seen somebody, he should have gotten the Academy Award for pacing. Well, there's one, <laughs> there's one plot change that Kurosawa made to Macbeth. And I want to talk about that in part two. So we'll save that for our moments. So welcome back in part two. We'd like to talk about our favorite moment or a moment we think reflects the film as a whole. Mike, what's yours? So mine is when they encounter the witch I think the witch scene in this film is so creepy. It's it's possibly even creepier than the Coen brothers. It's got the jump scare in sure. common, but but what's changed is the one witch this time by herself, like the the crone spinning the we, the wheel of of fate, the yeah. wheel of time. It's it's very unsettling, and she even comes with her own little hut. Right, it, it's it's that same theme of confined spaces, where even they are slightly hunched down to kind of make eye contact with her through the little doorway that she's in. And so I, I don't know why that that same theme of cramped tight spaces comes in or, or how it really relates. But again, that scene makes me physically uncomfortable. Her voice makes me uncomfortable. You know, obviously I don't speak Japanese, so I'm just reading the subtitles of what she said. But everything about her little sing song, I, I forget the words to her song. Yeah. Shakespeare tried to do a couple of creepy songs and like there's a creepy song in yes. Hamlet that Ophelia sings before. She, no Shakespearean creepy song is as creepy as that creepy song. 
that is four four or five lines of perfection. That's true. And remember, those two guys are badasses hiding from her because even they are upset by by what they see. And then, of course, she just vanishes. And they try, just like an original Shakespeare, they kind of try to blow it off, but they can't and neither can we. No, I, I think it's so beautifully done. It it might be the truest thing that's at, adapted from the original source material, but it's done so brilliantly well that I don't think any other adaptation that I've ever seen is as unsettling as, as Throne of Blood. Okay, what's your moment? So my moment, you talked about the source material. We have to talk about Isuzu Yamada as Lady Macbeth. I mean, she, her name is Asanji in the film, but how, first of all, just how great is she? She's terrifying. She's terrifying in this film. She is great. So my moment is, I mean, she. first of all, I love how she slithers around the film with a whoosh, 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 whoosh. I mean, there's a line, look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. She is the serpent. She's unbelievable. But what I want to talk about is the source material. There's one change, and it's almost an improvement that Kurosawa made on the on the original. And that's when Washizu, you know, the Toshiro Mufuni Macbeth character, is telling her, he says, I'm going to make Miki. Now, Miki is the Banquo character. I'm going to make his son the equivalent of Fleance, my heir. And Washizu is, is going to do this like to fight the prophecy. He's going to fight his own desires. He's like, well, if I do this, and if I make Miki's son my heir, then, then I'm going to beat the, the prophecy. I'm going to stop thinking about the old woman with the spinning wheel. It's all going to be fine. But then she says to him, do you remember what she says as soon as he says that? That she's pregnant. Yeah, she says, I am with child. Now that is not in the original. And a lot of people talk about, you know, Lady Macbeth says in the first act, um, I know what it is to give suck and how tender it is to love the babe that milks me and all these things. So you're supposed to assume that the Macbeths have had children. He says to her early in the play, bring forth men, children only. So they kind of had this history, but we, we never get a sense of it, right? Here she says, I am with child and his whole world stops because it's a great moment. He's trying to, he's trying to one up fate. And as soon as he thinks he does, he has it all figured out. He's exactly what I'm going to do. She has one better. And that's exactly how she operates. Like, like, um, again, like the source material, I love how in the beginning where he says, well, Mickey is an honorable man. And she says, um, children have killed their parents for less. Like she is totally on a whole different wave. Like, so you know what she reminds me of, of how, um, how you reminded me when we watched Double Indemnity that Walter Neff thinks he's come up with this whole plan to, 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 to murder, um, you know, to murder Barbara Stanwyck's husband. And you remember like, she's like miles ahead of him. <laughs> like that's what, the, that's what it's like here. He didn't even get out of the prologue of the plan. <laughs> right. Exactly. And she's got the whole thing done with the train and everything else. So I think that's great. That that's a way for Kurosawa to raise the stakes. And then of course the baby is stillborn. And that is some symbolic as well. I, just have to say, I love when she grabs the spear out of his hand. Yeah, that, that's one beautiful change, a, a spear for from a dagger. And that uh, what that gets you is not one handful of blood. It gets you two handfuls of blood. If you remember the, the close up scene, it's just yeah. I don't know if they use jam or what they used, but it's tactile and yes. disgusting. Yeah. And that is from the original. She says, give me the he, remember, remember, according to the plan, remember, he the, his first mistake is he walks back with the daggers. And then Lady Macbeth in the original says, give me that. Why have you brought the daggers from the place? You're supposed to leave them. But a spear. I mean, that's a statement. So welcome back. In part three, we talk about the title of the ending. Mike, what do you make of this? This is the best change that you could possibly make in adapting Shakespeare. And I'll tell you one thing. As somebody who studied Macbeth, who loves Macbeth, who's watched a thousand adaptations of Macbeth, the first 60% of Macbeth are the best 60%. And then you're waiting for uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which is kind of the end of the play. And then it goes on for a little while and then yeah. it really ends because you know what's going to happen 
to Macbeth, something about adaptations of Macbeth for me, including the one with Denzel Washington, lose a little bit of steam when Macbeth is no longer likable, right? There's no, there's no tension. He's fallen completely into madness. And then the question is, who's, who's going to take him out? We get the same thing here. But again, him not falling in battle to a foil, him ordering his troops uh, troops on, and, and he has no, literally nowhere to go. It's, it's the culmination yeah. thematically of everything we've seen through the film. He dies truly a horrific death. He dies like screaming Boromir uh, from Lord of the Rings, but better and in black and white. And Tashira Mifune might have one of the best death scenes of anybody in any movie because he's so frustrated and he's so agonized. He's like a wounded animal, like literally clinging at the wall, clinging to corners. Uh, if you look up this scene, of course, there's a thousand explanations by experts of how they filmed it because yeah. they actually shot arrows at him, which is did. that's the that's the big thing. But it, it really works. You know, I don't know if that was method acting on, on his part or just how they had to do it. But by God, that is a great scene. And do you remember after he falls down and he's cut, he's filled with arrows, the last thing he does is he reaches for his sword. That's a great moment. Then he falls on his face. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's trying to fight, but there's nowhere yeah, to go. There's nowhere and to I, go. I think that's so much that's so much better than a than a sword fight. That's so yeah. much better than just someone someone one up you, right? It's the yeah. culmination of all of his anxiety and all of his paranoia. It, it's it's sort of like the main character of a play being murdered by the Greek chorus. There's something <laughs> there's something on stage surround surrounding him. And he's just crushed by fate where, where Macbeth is like tricked into dying. This is this is something totally different. Yeah, because right. Because no one has to say, aha, Macduff was from his mother's womb, untimely ripped. Aha. And then Macbeth is like, oh, no, like, I, you know, I cannot yield. But you don't get any of that. And it's better. That punchline always falls flat for me. And that's right. why I think this movie maintains its tension until about 96 percent of the way through instead of 60 percent. And I love how you said it's better without a sword fight. It reminded me a, a few weeks ago, I've, I watched Sanjuro. Have you, have you seen Sanjuro? No. The film, Toshiro Mufuni? Oh, it's great. Well, we got another episode. Well, in that he's, he's a wandering uh, samurai. And there's a bit at the end where this, this, his foil throughout the film has been following around. And he gets to the end. The movie's over. He, he, he saved the people he's supposed to save. And um, he's, Toshiro Mufuni has to fight the guy. And they both stand there with their swords out and they stare at each other. And, and this stare, it's a famous thing. You could look it up. They must, they must lock eyes for 90 seconds. It feels like it's four hours. They just stare before one of them even flinches and moves. And then it's all over really quickly. But that's better than a giant sword fight that would become like, you know, like Sonny throwing the garbage can or something. <laughs> and it would go on and on and on. So I think that's terrific. You know, the, the real end of the film, everyone remembers the, the arrow scene. But of course, the real end is after the arrow scene, then you find out what the forest moving is about. Then you find out about that. And then, of course, the fog comes in. And there's that great bit where you see everything fade out. And the last thing you see is that monument. And you hear the, the you know, the people chanting the poem. And I love where it says, you know, um, for what once was, so now still is true. Murderous ambition will pursue beyond the grave to give its due. You know, tragedy is supposed to be, you know, the combination of pity and fear. And I think, I think this movie really does pull it off. The transformation from Macbeth, from a hero to a morally wounded hero to a villain, to a hurt animal is, I think, what what does it? Because yeah. when Westerners see Macbeth die, it's very difficult to feel pity for him. There's some kind of there's some kind of release. There's some kind of tragic catharsis, but it's not complete the way it is watching 
watching Tashir Mufuni get yeah. get ripped through by arrows and like you said try to reach for his sword but how a sword can a sword can fight another sword but it cannot fight a thousand arrows and so it's it's pitiable and I think that that's what really does it for me yeah the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune come for him as they come for all. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about Throne of Blood. Um, follow us on Twitter at 15MANFILM. You could also follow us on Letterboxd. Letterboxd, which we love. Go on Letterboxd. You can see all the other movies we've been watching. Give us suggestions there. You can email us up at 15MinuteFilm. That's spelled out 15MinuteFilm at Gmail. Let us know what movies you'd like us to do. We're still cooking along. And please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. 